Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Ah yes, wise words from the mouths of people whose shoulders we stand upon. Hi, this is the Talking Biotech Podcast, a special intra-week version. My name is Kevin Falta, and I'm glad to present to you today um, a presentation where I uh, spoke to the young farmers and ranchers um, of Florida. This is a Florida Farm Bureau group that focuses mostly upon leaders who are younger in the farming and uh, ranching industries. And this group was really great because they cover everything from, of course, you know, cattle, but also citrus, ornamentals, um, any other kinds of hort crops and and egg crops. So this is a really diverse group um, across a diverse state, across many different counties. And it was a really exciting meeting because it was a time to talk to really the experts about the topic of biotechnology but not just biotech but how to communicate biotech because that's the big issue here we have the experts in the world uh, who are not necessarily trained in science but more in the application of that science and giving them the tools to participate in this discussion Uh, it's amazing when you talk to them how well they do understand this topic and how much they loathe the pushback and having their hands tied uh, with technology that could be wonderfully helpful, but their hands are tied because they can't use it. And so it was an opportunity for me to be able to share a morning with them and talk about how do you, um, how do you talk to a public audience about this topic that they do not necessarily want to hear. And how do we engage the people who we need to engage the most in order to share this message of this is what the technology does, this is how I use it, this is how I know it's safe on my farm and around my family. So the following is my presentation to them. It takes about 45 minutes. Um, There is an accompanying slide deck, which can be found at uh, www.slideshare.net forward slash Kevin Fulta. And you are welcome to take those slides, use them in any way you find helpful. If you scroll through them while listening to this, you get a rough idea as to how this show is put together. But please, um, this whole concept that I presented to them was based on the idea that if you're not telling your story, then Dr. Oz will be glad to tell it for you. And that's a really effective method to get hardworking people a little bit irritated. Because 
they're the ones who should be telling their story. They are the experts, yet they are the ones who are most apprehensive about engaging a public audience. So uh, go ahead and take a look at the slides, listen to the presentation as it goes along here. And in, in the near future, I hope that you share this with others, share this with farmers you know, scientists you know, and encourage them to use this kind of a, a pattern or this uh, format this um, flow to go talk to public audiences. This is something I've done a thousand times and I understand reasonably well that it, it seems to work well. So give it a shot. Okay, without going any further, I'll, uh, you'll hear the words of the woman who introduced me and we'll roll from there. Well, thank you. That's very nice. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the invitation, and uh, it's, it's one of the kinds of groups that I like to talk to most. Um, I'm not a farmer. I'm a scientist who grew up really far from farming, as far as you can get. Um, my experience in plant biology really came from working on a plant that scientists really care about, but not too many other people, this thing called a Arabidopsis, it's a little mustard that was a model system, like a white lab rat for plants. And, uh, but at the same time, I was w watching what was happening in the world around us with respect to agricultural innovations that were coming through genetic engineering. And even as a little kid, I was really excited about reading about recombinant DNA and how you could use uh, DNA like molecular Legos to create new genes and new solutions to agricultural problems. And this was even really exciting to me. And I always followed that literature and what was happening there. At the same time, I was learning plant science in an agriculturally irrelevant organism. And uh, when I got the job here in Florida, that all changed. It was the first time that I went down to actually meet growers. And, in, and I work with strawberry growers and some others in the state and actually uh, met families that this is what they did and this is where their livelihood came from and this, these were problems they needed solved. And it was really uh, humbling for me to be able to uh, have a shot at trying to address somebody's real problems. And that would be very exciting for me and, and, and kind of a monster was born. Um, since then I've been really addicted to trying to come up with solutions that will end up uh, impacting the way farmers do what they do in the field. And uh, at the same time, I started to realize that one of the better ways that it, maybe I could have an impact isn't necessarily through my lab, but maybe by the way that I could teach people to talk about this particular topic. Uh, I have a background in communications, too. And really, the problem that we're suffering from today, uh, a lot of this ties in really nicely with the talk earlier this morning, is that we don't communicate well about what we do. And we're letting someone else tell our story. And that's the theme of my talk today, is why are we giving up the power? Why are we letting someone else tell the story that we should be telling? When I say we, I'm saying scientists, I'm talking about farmers, uh, you know, we've all been guilty. And we need to change that. And I'd like to hopefully... Uh, convince you that we need to change it, and then I'd like to give you some tools so that you could be an agent of that change. And I'll start out with the fact that, you know, part of the problem is that we're in a good situation. Okay, we're spoiled rotten around here. We, our food supply has never been more diverse, safe, and plentiful. Um, that human, that uh, in the USA, we spend less money 
out of our paycheck on food than ever in human history and less than anyone else in the world. We got it really good here. We got it really good. You know, thanks to you, right? I mean, this is because we have a strong farming industry in this country. It's something that we still make here, and it's something that we do really well with. And 99% of our country does not have to produce food, and that means there's plenty of time for leisure and other stuff, including getting really mad about farmers and farming. And it's because people do their research. I mean, you know, free time plus internet connection means an instant expert. And never before in human history have humans enjoyed so much immediate access to bad information. And that for every nugget you can give them about why what you do is a wonderful thing and good stuff and why I tell them that, that biotechnology is safe and wonderful, there's dozens of people online saying exactly the opposite. It's kind of a breakdown in the way we used to communicate, that traditionally consumers had access to an expert. And whether that was um, a physician, whether it was uh, you know, uh, uh, someone on the news, someone who would talk through the paper or an encyclopedia, we had direct access to some authority somehow. But now that's all changed. And earlier today, uh, John had talked about this idea of tribals, or tribes occurring. And what we have happening are these insular tribes of people of like-mindedness that ignore experts because they are the experts, thanks to the Internet. So uh, someone will say, I don't care what the scientists say. My son's baseball coach says that stuff will kill you. I don't care if genetically engineered food is safe. My yoga teacher says that it's not. You know, you can hear this over and over again, and it's crazy because people are surrounding themselves with experts, in quotes, who are not really experts, but are people who feel empowered because of some level of information they got from the Internet. And the real voices who know the facts aren't there. Us. This is the problem. Um, a lot of... Um, Studies have been done to, to identify who are the um, most influential in buying and in, in food purchases, and also who are the most influential, who are most influenced by negative information about food and farming. And it turns out that it's uh, affluent women um, who are college educated, somewhere between 20 and 45. All right, these are the moms. And moms have funny ways of dealing with bad information. You know, they, they're very protective. And they don't, one bad nugget of information, even if it's a one in a million chance, they don't want something that's going to harm their child. And they're very careful about that. And so people use that as a means to misinform them. So that very powerful group is misinformed. They want information on food farming and technology. And so what happens when they come to me, come to any of my colleagues up at the university? What happens when they come to you? Well, we're real busy. We can't. We we don't have time to, to, to talk about these things. I mean, we, we you know we got jobs to do. We got we got uh, things. You know, deadlines. We have. You know, we can't do this. We're already working from sun up to sundown. We can't do this even further. And so, when we don't get in that space with good information, who gets in that space? Food babes, Oprah, Doctor Oz. They're happy to tell people about this, and usually sell them a product to go along with it. You see the problem. I don't know how many of you know this woman here, uh, Vandana Shiva. She um, gave a talk at Eckerd College in Tampa a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, where she talked about the dangers of genetic engineering and how this was uh, giving kids autism and uh, arthritis and Parkinson's disease. Went down the list of all the bad things about it. 
And here she is 13.6 miles from where citrus screening is taking out whole groves. And the genetic engineering solution might be part of the best solution. You know, this should not be happening. And who is there standing up and saying, no, that's not true. You know, that's not, not on my watch, right? Nobody was there. No one from the university, you know, none of us were there. Uh, and we need to be in those spaces, but we need to be online communicating about what is true, throwing her under the bus. And this is where we need to be. Because we have a problem, and the problem is that people don't understand food and farming. Farmers are 2% of the population. They're not, taking, they're not playing a part in social media. Very few scientists are engaging effectively in social media. We have this power, and we have decided not to use it that we decided to give it to the food babe, to give it to Shiva, to give it to all those other people who are working against us, to let them pollute the minds of the people who just want to know about their food. We're the ones who know, and we're the ones who aren't squawking. This is a real problem. Uh, I mentioned here that you know there's a lot of groups right now that are poised to use legislation to change the way we use chemicals. The uh, the uh, the, kind, the way we treat animals, the way we you know, which, you know, which is already good, change the way we what, change the way we do what we do, and and so we have to start pushing back. And if I haven't convinced you of this already, I, you know, um, I hope maybe the next slide or two will. The real problem is that remember that if we look at the population and talk about how much they know about uh, food and farming. There's a lot of people in the middle who don't know much. There's a few people who know absolutely nothing, and there's some people who are really the experts. And if you talk about the non-experts, these tend to be the folks who have completely distorted ideas who are making the most noise. Uh, farmers and scientists, well, they're over here. They're not making much noise. And then in the middle, you have most people. And these are the people we need to reach, the folks in the middle of this curve that are just concerned parents that want to know what's safe for their families. These folks motivate with fear. If you eat this, your kids will get autism. If you eat this, you'll get cancer. In other countries like China, where having children is the most important thing, they'll say, if you eat this, you will be infertile. They craft the message to the people they want to scare. Then what do we do as scientists? We come back the other way, and what do we do? Well, scientists say, well... Here's the facts, here's the studies, here's the papers. I got a PhD, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Guess how many hearts and minds that changes? Zero. Okay, scientists are the worst because we come out there, you know, we, have, we, we can't get away from, uh, from our training and the way that we've never been, well, plus we've never been taught to talk to people for the most part. And uh, scientists also sometimes choose science because it's a job that allows them to lock themselves in an office and hide from everybody. You know, a laboratory, you know, hide behind the white coat. You know, so, so scientists aren't very good at that. Uh, farmers tend to say, well, I just don't have the time to get involved. So this is, where we're, this is where we are. We're trying to get facts, and we're fighting fear with facts, and fear always wins. It's that one nugget of chance that some parent will say, I don't want my kid to get sick, and I don't care if it's a one in a million chance, I'm not going there. So we have to find a way better than dealing with a fear, way to combat fear other than just facts alone. And that's what we'll talk about today. Um, so we know that, uh, and this kind of goes into uh, just the idea of, of 
Genetic improvement for plants and animals, this is something that humans have always participated in, and that's an important first step in thinking about this, is that we know that we make better varieties with better yields and improved nutrition, safer products, all this stuff with plants and animals by breeding and selection. Yet when you ask people what genetic improvement is, they think it's this crazy process that creates these uh, uh, atrocities um, that uh, we shouldn't be eating. And the problem with that is that we miss many good opportunities, and that's how we're really going to frame the argument for why we need to think about rethink um, issues like biotechnology and modern farming. So what we have to do, we have to understand our audience, we'll talk about how we dispel an appeal to nature, we'll talk about this idea of shared values, very important. Um, how we personalize the message, and again, we're reiterating the ideas of honesty, transparency, and trust knowing the core concepts, and then emphasizing missed opportunities. And then the last thing we'll talk about is where to get your e-real estate. And one thing I kind of neglected to mention, this morning um, when Jana gave her talk, she did an excellent talk from surveys that a company paid for to talk to so many people to learn this stuff. I learned this by doing it. I've gone out and I've spoken in front of countless numbers of farmers. I've spoken in front of uh, anti-GMO groups. I've spoken to uh, you know, folks in the Whole Foods community room. Um, you name it, I've spoken to them. I've had people throw stuff at me. I've had people yell and scream at me. I've had you know, people get right here and you know, start you know, yelling right in my face. I've seen it all. The big trick is, is that I've learned from that how, what's effective and how to communicate these things. So again, who's our audience? And, and it's these people in the middle. You're not going to change a rabid uh, anti-biotechnology or anti-farming person's mind. You'll never change them. You don't want it to go there. You can't, change, you can't use facts and evidence to change the mind of someone who doesn't make decisions based on facts and evidence. Okay, it just ain't going to work. But what we have to do is we have to have a conversation with those people in the middle. We have to talk to those moms. we got to be in that space so that the food babe isn't. That's where we have to be. And when we talk about what people find important, and you look at all these things like U.S. economy, health care, all the different issues that people are, are interested in, this comes from the Center for Food Integrity, safe and affordable food is right at the top of the list. So there's a shared value that no matter who you are is something that is important. And generally, that's something that people can all agree upon. And that's a place where we can start to really gain some favor for our arguments. And again, these are just people that we have to really think about the folks in the center of the curve. And we can't approach them as, I'm an expert as a farmer, I know this. And as a scientist, I know this. We have to say, I understand why you feel the way you do. If I read the websites you read, I'd feel the same way. Let me tell you about the, what I do. Let me tell you about the way it works. Let me tell you about why you don't need to worry about it. Okay, that's really important. One of the first things we need to do is get rid of this idea of what's natural. And farming isn't a natural process. Um, breeding and crop improvement is not a natural process. We're changing things from the way nature uh, probably intended them uh, to make them work better for humans. Because this is about feeding people. Uh, between genetics, management, all these other good things, we've really changed uh, significantly away from natural. A couple of good examples. Um, let me kind of zip through here. Uh, these are broiler chickens, 1957 versus 2001. And you can really see the effect of breeding on increasing the size of chickens and the consumer desirable traits. 
Okay, so much, much more white meat on, the, on these chickens here. These are number of days, and uh, 1957 versus 2001. And you can see on these broilers just huge differences in breast meat, how just a larger overall size. And that's tri strictly from breeding and selection. That's not genetically modified any, well, it's not biotechnology. Certainly are modified genetics happening there. If you compare that against what the public perception is, and this came from online, uh, here's a 1950 versus 2012, uh, 68 days and 47 days. GMO foods are destroying and poisoning humanity. There's no GMO chickens. There's never been one, not at least commercially available. I'll show you later why that's a bad thing. But here's a case where uh, the reality is we can make food faster, make more food on the same amount of feed, uh, make better chickens, but this is being distorted to a message that's not true. And so these folks are in that space telling this story, whereas this is the story of the success of how breeding and genetics and improved management practices and animal husbandry practices have improved our ability to make healthy food. That's the story they should be hearing, and they're not hearing it. Uh, here's another interesting, interesting example of what's natural. Um, here's a guy, uh, uh, Round Oak Rag Apple Elevation, born in 1965, 80,000 daughters, uh, 2.3 million granddaughters and over 6.5 million great-granddaughters. That's one busy bull. Uh, and, uh, and so you can imagine, you know, this isn't really a natural process. You know, this has all been done from artificial insemination from a very successful uh, animal that sired many offspring. And this is a real strong deviation from raising single calves that are coming from, uh, uh, from a single breeding parent. This is a really important one, too, for those of you who are working in, crop, uh, in different crops, is that nothing that we grow in North America comes from here. All of these are different crops and their original their origins all over the world. And it's really interesting to see that really the only things that come from North America are one of the parents of strawberry and uh, sunflower and a few other things, maybe some brassicas and blueberries and things. But in general, most of the crops we eat are coming from somewhere else. And... Uh, at least evolutionarily, and that their migration to North America and their improvement within North America was a human-facilitated activity, not nature. Nature didn't do this. We did this. Okay, our ancestors did this. They made it possible for these crops to be improved and to end up here in a place where we could grow them. And this is a good example of how much they've been improved. Here's Corn's great-grandparent, Tio Sinte. Uh, by great-grandparent, I mean... Uh, grandparents 16,000 years ago, it was this funny little, um, funny little stick with some kernels on it next to a quarter there for reference. And that compared to modern corn. Uh, this thing called teosinte was almost useless, but it was good enough for people to get some nutrition where they would um, select for the better one. And maybe instead of 13 kernels, the next one had 26. And then they kept that one and grew that one instead. And, and they, they were selecting for mutations which gave them better favorable agricultural products. Another good example are tomatoes. Uh, these are little tiny uh, blobs on the ground in, uh, in South America that grow on vines, and they don't taste very good. They frequently have uh, very foul-off flavors, uh, sometimes even toxic flavors um, so that are irritant. Um, bananas have come a long way. So the idea is, is that nothing you eat came from here, and it certainly looked a lot different. Humans have improved crops by moving them from where they belong to places where we could use them and improve them to flourish in those spots. So none of this is natural. 
The next big thing to get around is to, share, to appeal to shared values. And this goes back to this idea that people aren't really overwhelmed by facts and figures. They're not interested in degrees or authority. What they want is, how does this help them? And if we go to places like shared values, that's a place where we can make some significant headway. And this is something I've, I've tested and show, we've shown this a million times over. The human brain responds to stories. And that if you give someone a fact, it's soon forgotten. But if you tell them a story about that fact, maybe about the way something works in your operation, here's what I know about the way it works on our farm. That tends to stick. Telling them that uh, we use 750 milliliters of glyphosate per acre ain't going to move the needle. Okay? By saying that we use a very dilute concentration of this chemical to control weeds in certain ways, that has a way of sticking. So I guess might be a good question. This is really where I start with any audience. When I talk to a general audience or somebody who may be really skeptical, I'll say, what's important to you about food, about the food supply? What are some of the things we worry about? What are some of the things that are important to us when we consider the big picture of food? What about profitable food for, profitable for, profitable for farmers? Hands in the air on that one, anyone? <laughs> yeah, so something that makes, makes, is good for the American farmer. What about food that minimizes its environmental impact? That's important. You know, we're worried a lot about what's happening with water resources, especially in certain parts of the country. What about um, having improved consumer products that'll make maybe a little bit, uh, make something new and interesting for our consumers? That's important. What about coming up with technologies that might even allow people in the developing world to grow more with less so that everybody can enjoy maybe something as, as good as we have or even start to approach that? And so if we start from those shared values, this is a place where we can, this is where we start to make headway with people who don't like what we do. We talk about the developing world, about the environment, farmers, animal welfare food safety, the needy, consumers. If we focus on those areas of commonality, our messages tend to stick much better. So as, as um, Jana was talking about this morning, when you engage somebody, you say, what's important to you about food? What are the things you worry about? Why do you make the choices you make? Let me tell you about how what I do satisfies at least one of these areas. And I'll, t- I'll walk you through some of these. The other big trick is to personalize your message. And you have to understand why people make the decisions they do and understand the way they, why they think the way they do. Now, when someone, uh, I'll, I'll approach people in the grocery store, I'll say, why are you buying those tomatoes for $4 a pound rather than these for $1.99 a pound when these came from a Florida farm? They're tastyly tomatoes. And I'll say, well, we don't want those because they're GMOs. And I'll say, well, there are no GMO tomatoes. And they'll say, yeah, they are. Yeah. They'll argue with me about those tastyly tomatoes. And how do you? And so, where do you start? I could go listen, you idiot. You know, <laughs> and it's been done. Um, but but the other thing that you can do is you say, I totally understand why you would think that because it's a really nice tomato. It's uniform. It's, it tastes great. It must be some kind of weird magic in there. But actually, this is a traditionally bred tomato that comes from the University of Florida, and there's nothing magical about that. It's just you know good old fashioned rubbing plant parts together, waiting and seeing what comes out that looks really good. <laughs> And so you can, you can bring that message down to somebody and help them understand and change their buying patterns. I mean, I, I think that I got a customer for life with that one. Um, so tell your story. Start with your concerns. What are the things that, that concern you about the way, that, that, uh, the way we, we do things? Uh, share the concerns for 
Why, why don't people in the developing world, why can't they get the best technology that can solve their problems? You know, that's a big one for us. Um, talk about how uh, a great one came last night from uh, Greg from uh, the Anderson Brothers. Um, he said he's working on an, on an article on ag chemicals and focusing on glyphosate. He says, we use this stuff on my farm. He says, I live there. I'm not going to spray something that's going to be dangerous to me and my family. I live there. You know, and, and so he... Uh, brings in the fact that he has a family that's on the space, that's using these products, and that he knows and has vetted the safety of this before he ever tried to apply it. That's a really important message. And again, this idea of being transparent and establishing trust. And um, have, a, have a quick set of core, co- core concepts. And um, I'll have all my slides excuse me, available online at slideshare.net. And under my name, Kevin Fulta, all one word. Um, And so you can find them there if you want to think about these later. But I always have some things in the chamber for when I'm stuck in the elevator with someone who doesn't, uh, who I feel needs to get a little education in how food and farming work, how science works. And uh, I always tell them, uh, humans have always participated in plant and genetic animal improvement of plant and animal genetic improvement, that this transgenic or GMO technology is a precise extension of conventional plant breeding. Uh, techniques that are used are, have no more risk than conventional breeding. And that in 18 years of use of these plants, there hasn't been one case of illness, and that there are no GMO animals, and that there's just a few crops that have been genetically engineered. And I'm putting, giving you a little more information on biotechnology here, even though we don't really do much of that here in Florida. We have a little bit of, of uh, traded, traded uh, field corn here and there. Um, some cotton up in the panhandle, maybe some soybeans. But this could be a solution for citrus greening. This could be great benefit to tomato and strawberry, and I'll show you some pictures in a few minutes. Um, but these things aren't being pursued because of a fear of consumer pushback. And there's really, again, just 10 crops, really just nine. The apple isn't available too much yet, but the potato is, should be in your stores very soon. Um, let me zip ahead here and talk about this is the way we can change hearts and minds. So the folks who are against biotech, they have a very easy sell because they just have to say, well, you know, we just don't know. We've never done long-term studies. We don't, you know, they can, they can lie through their teeth about this stuff, and people believe it. How do we fight back? How do we convince people that this is a good technology they should look at? And if you try to talk about the benefits of BT or you talk about the BT corn that makes its own BT or you talk about uh, uh, makes its own protection or you talk about glyphosate being a lower impact uh, herbicide and that's got some nice environmental benefits versus the other ways of doing it with tilling, um, that doesn't, doesn't resonate. People don't really get excited about herbicides and insecticides. They just don't. If it ends inside, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get people totally psyched about how this can benefit them even if it does. So what are the things that we can talk about? And I think there's, this has been, for me, I think the number one way to change the way people think about biotechnology and agriculture. Uh, golden rice is a great example. So here's a case where um, 250,000 to 500,000 children go blind every year because of vitamin A deficiency. This isn't a major medical problem. This is a micronutrient deficiency. In other words, the stuff that's in carrots, they don't get enough of this beta carotene, which is converted in the eye to vitamin A. Um, this is an easy fix, folks. 
And kids can't have this, and they die from this because they don't have enough vitamin A. But there's a solution. There's multiple solutions. One of them is golden rice. And this isn't perfect, but what happens is you can put a couple of enzymes that match the ones from carrots into something like rice, and they can convert and make that beta-carotene. Estimates have shown that because we haven't deployed this technology that we've lost 1.4 million human life years, and that was over a year ago. But if you think about that number, 1.4 million human life years, think about how important three human life years are to you, someone you love. Okay, I mean, this is a lot of the years that are being lost because we can't deploy a technology. That can sometimes be persuasive. Cassava is a major staple on the African continent, and a lot of it's lost to virus and also doesn't have vitamin A. And that's been engineered in here, too, the beta-carotene and uh, iron-rich cassava and also virus resistance. So this really can have a huge, profound impact in the developing world. We don't use it. It's not on the immediate horizon. There's also a banana which could be used in Uganda, which uh, has beta-carotene from a banana gene in bananas. But still, people oppose this. Greenpeace will fight it to death because they don't want the technology to move forward because if the technology solves a problem for people, how can they paint it as being so evil? Allergy-free peanuts. You know, in, in the industrialized world, we got this problem with emerging allergies. And here's a case where you can use genetic engineering to decrease the um, allergen, the major allergen in peanuts. And there's a couple, but they, you can knock them all down pretty good. And here's a solution that would work very well in the industrialized world. Uh, citrus screening. So though most people in this room know exactly what this is. You know, this disease that now infects about 100% of the groves in the state and uh, no real immediate solution other than hopefully some new genetics that are coming and uh, some new regimens for fertilization and management. But for the most part, it looks like a genetic engineering solution has been very strong. And uh, the spinach defense gene is looking very promising. Um, and this is something that could benefit all of us here. Um, also could benefit the environment from being able to use less insect sprays. And uh, I talk about this. I have a podcast that I do called Talking Biotech. And those of you who listen to podcasts, you can find this on iTunes. And we'll talk about citrus greening next week. This is a really good one, too. This one is about, so the, the bird flu is going crazy in the Midwest. And 45 million chickens, okay, 45 million perfectly edible chickens have now gone in the landfills because of avian influenza. Uh, avian influenza is spread because wild waterfowl uh, carry it, wild birds carry it, and inevitably it gets into chicken operations no matter how much you try, or poultry operations, no matter how well you keep it out something tends to get in. It's a real important surveillance and biosecurity issue to make sure that you don't get avian influenza. Well, this is a chicken that's been genetically engineered to not spread the disease. So if it gets infected, it's a dead end. That virus can't move from this chicken. So if it gets infected because it sat near a vent and got something from the outside, that's the last bird that's infected. This would be a huge, huge step forward. We've had it since 2011 never been close to commercialization. These people are freaky about genetically engineered animals. This would be a huge step forward in animal welfare. Um, I don't have a slide for it, but there's, a, uh, they, the, the, there's been an opera, an, uh, a group has taken the genetic change. There's, so, you know, you think about all the, all the A's, G's, C's, T's in the DNA of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a cow or of a bull. 
And um, there's one difference, one letter between Angus and, say, Holstein's that make him horns or no horns. One little letter. And what they've been able to do is now take that same change and make that same change with this new technology called CRISPRs, where they just edited that one change in a Holstein from, from where it was to match the Angus. And then that cow was recently born and has no horns. How cool is that? So, or at least I think it was. I don't know that it was. Um, but the bottom line is, is that you could now create uh, dairy cows that don't have to be pulled. And here's an animal welfare issue, as well as a cost for farmers. And you're, all you're doing is doing what you could have done by breeding if you would breed the beef cow and the dairy cow together and then breed and breed and breed for about 200 years. You could get that same exact effect. But here you're able to do it in a few days. Or, well, I shouldn't say that, a few months, years. Um, I don't want to undersell how much work went into that, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, that's, on the, that's on the podcast, too, that one. Uh, that's episode two. Um, Daco bounty salmon. So, you know, having access to fish is a pretty good thing. Um, protein in early life is an important thing, and as well as the fish oils are great for cardiovascular health. And here's a farm, here's a salmon that's a farm-raised salmon that gets to market size in half the time. And it's because it has a gene that instead of, for a growth hormone, that instead of being turned on in the summer and off in the winter, like what happened in the wild, it's on all the time. And this fish gets twice as big in a given amount of time. And that's great because you're feeding the same amount of feed, you're taking up the same amount of space, same amount of medicine, the same amount of watching these things from other hazards, but then you get a larger amount of fish. So this is a really important thing for the salmon industry. This um, was originally done in 1989, which is a lot older than most people in this room. And this technology has been approved for five years, yet has not gotten final approval from the FDA for who knows why. It's sitting on a desk in Washington because of feared pushback from the public. So this is another one that could have great implications on many different levels that everybody cares about. Um, Enviropig has an enzyme in its saliva that causes better phosphorus utilization of food that it takes in. So you don't have to spend as much money on, on vitamins. You don't, have to spend as much, you don't have as much of an environmental impact of pig manure. And this would be a huge one. But this whole project has been scrapped. Um, this pig's kids, or, or no, brothers and sisters, are uh, embryos in a tank of liquid nitrogen in Canada. Um, probably never to see the light of day. Uh, the low acrylamide non-browning potato. This is a good one because this is something that has human health benefit and that it doesn't make this stuff called acrylamide, which happens when you fry potatoes. It doesn't make this. It's tiny amounts of this stuff, but it doesn't make it. It also doesn't bruise. So farmers are able to have higher yields on the same amount of fertilizer and crop protection. They get 25% more potatoes. Totally all sustainability. Non-browning apples have recently been deregulated. This is a turning off an apple enzyme with an apple gene that uh, just makes them not brown, which is great because now you have uh, apples that you can stick into a lunchbox bo lunch or into a, into a prepared dish, and they don't turn brown. And this is, looks like a really exciting product. This has been recently deregulated. Uh, this comes from my lab. We have strawberries that you can uh, spray with uh, strawberries' worst pathogens, and they survive just fine even without fungicides. So you can think about how much money that could save strawberry farmers here in our state if they didn't have to use fungicide applications. Uh, you wouldn't be putting fungicide into the environment, and consumers wouldn't be washing it off their strawberries. 
This is a win-win-win. Yet we can't do it. There's no real interest from the industry in moving this forward. So I find that using those, those ideas of the shared values and the missed opportunities. What are the things that we could have done to affect areas that we care about and we didn't do because of, because of consumer or because of activists and potential pushback? Lost opportunities. That makes me mad. And those are places where we can actually really do make some progress with convincing people that this is good sound technology. So last thing I'll talk about today are some barriers and some other things, some other mistakes, and then give you some hints as to how you get involved. So the things that we are up against, and, and Jonah talked about this earlier today, this idea that people dig in their heels when you give them more information, when you come at them with too much information. And that's why it's so important to come from this values-based approach. And we do have to avoid this feed the world rhetoric. We talk about it, but it doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't ring the bell for people. What we, gotta, what we have to re re resort to is specifics. That all of the soy raised in Illinois takes care of uh, all of Western Europe's needs for cattle feed. You know, whatever those numbers are, you have to come up with specifics to give people of the magnitude, not throw away things like feed the world. Tell them the specifics of how good this technology is and how good the farming operations satisfy it. Um, always talk about the strengths and the limitations, the good sides and the bad sides when they exist, and never claim it's a single solution. Talking about things like biotech or whatever as part of an integrated plan. And this idea of uh, never get back into the science no. So in other words, people will ask you, um, ask me, uh, can you guarantee me that BT corn is perfectly safe. And what do I have to say as a scientist? I said, no. Because <laughs> you can't guarantee it. You can't guarantee anything. I can't guarantee you water is safe. You know, scientists don't, we can't write those checks. So what we have to say is, and the way we get around this is by saying, let me tell you what I can tell you about BT and its extensive safety record and the ways this has been tested and how it's used in organic production. And you know, now that's what you have to do is really just talk about what you can say. So how do you get involved? And um, how many folks in this room currently have a blog where they talk about their work? Not so much about your work. Okay. Uh, how, so, so how many, so how, just show of hands was kind of zero, right? And, and I, I, this is a great one because I go to Canada now and then I do a lot of talks in Canada and I'll ask a large group of, of farmers, I'll say, how many of you use traded seeds? All the hands go up. And I'll say, how many of you have a blog that talks about what you do in your operation? Same response, maybe one or two. And then I'll say, how many of you want a guy in Oakland deciding what, in a cubicle, deciding what seeds you're going to plant next year? And you got to get into that space because the food babe is there if you're not. And so this is how we're going to do it. Go on Gmail and get a, get a Gmail account with your name, and some other little number or something so that you use this account only for social media interaction around these topics, around food and farm and science discussions. This way you're not getting it in with business and other personal stuff. This is specifically for engaging people about, about food and farming and science. Uh, using that account, make specific Facebook, Twitter, get all these other ones, even if you're not going to use them. Get them so that your name's on it, so that someone else doesn't put your name on it and pretend to be you. Defensively grab that stuff. Learn how to use Twitter. It's fantastic. It's a great way that if you don't want to spend the time blogging or spending time in social media, you can go on Twitter and say, 
I really like this article that someone else wrote. I'm going to share this with all the people who, who are interested in what I think. You have to use these things. Even if you don't write the content, you can create amplification of other people's good content. So you have to be in that space. Um, get a blog. Start one on Blogspot or WordPress. A lot of people think it takes a lot of time. It takes 15 minutes to take a picture, or, but not even five minutes to take a picture uh, somewhere when the sun, sunrise looks really beautiful and it just works that, that well and you're, you're, you know, your kids are outside standing there getting ready to go to school. Take that picture and stick it on your blog. And people will find it and people will look at it. And they'll understand what you do as, uh, as a, as, uh, in your farming operation and that you're another person who's doing a, doing a job that is really important. It works. Here's some good examples. Uh, Brian Scott, if anyone's ever, check out thefarmerslife.com. Brian, you know, he's a great guy. Brian goes out, he does uh, corn and beans up in uh, Indiana. And he'll take a picture of a sunset in his hubcap and 10,000 people look at it. I mean, he's, he's very well established and he really thrives in social media. Uh, Sarah Schultz, Amanda, all of these are fantastic. Uh, blogs and Twitter accounts to follow. And if you do this, you'll be right in there with them. People want information about where their food comes from. And we're not giving it to them. Jeffrey Smith and the Food Babe and Dr. Oz are. We need to be in this space. And since we don't have the same visibility that Dr. Oz does, there needs to be thousands of us doing it. And we can do it. These are really good ones, too. Um, Ask the Farmers, Food Dialogues, Food and Farm Discussion Lab on Facebook is really good. These are all good places where uh, farmers and scientists interface to share our experiences and learn how to be better at communicating with a concerned public. So who's going to talk to them? And how are we going to satisfy these concerned consumers? Is it going to be them? Or is it going to be us? And we need to be in this space, folks. We have to be the ones who are giving this message. We have to be the ones who are appealing to their shared values, the things that we all find important, and telling them about how what we do satisfies those concerns. We can't let them cloud the message and distort what we do. So I already told you all this stuff already, just understanding that audience and and appealing to shared values and emphasizing those missed opportunities. And um, I won't beat a dead horse here because I'd rather answer your questions. But the bottom line is there's plenty of places where you can, um, where you need to participate and where you can participate. I'll close with the idea that, um, you know, uh, I'm at the University of Florida. I'm the chair of the Hort Science Department. Um, I work for you. Okay, I work for you. Uh, You guys contact me with, with what you need. If you have any questions about how to do this, you have any questions where you want to engage, where you want my assistance in helping you engage an audience, give me a call and I will be more than happy to give you a hand. This is a really critical time where we all need to be stepping up. Um, We need to be working. We need to be in this space. I hope I can face you. Okay, so I'll be very happy to stop there and be very happy to take any questions. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science.
You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.